Um, earlier this week, I came across these two artists. I'm going to wait before you put the pictures up, Kenda. Tom Noble, or Tim Noble, sorry, and Sue Webster. They're British artists, and their, their work is on display all around the world in different art galleries. And it's, it's, it's very different. It's, it's kind of weird, obscure art um, in a lot of ways. I'll just, I'll just show you. If you want to put up the first image. Yes, that is a pile of garbage. Do <laughs> you want to go on to the next one? Do you see the skyline? Isn't that cool? And go on to the next one there. Isn't that cool? It's awesome. At first glance, this, or go back maybe to the first image if you don't mind, Kenda. At first glance, it would seem like a pile of garbage. Well, it is, literally, a pile of garbage. And it almost, it's actually really cool. Before you go in, I couldn't find a video of this, so I'll paint the picture for you a little bit. As you walk into their art gallery, the lights are actually off. And so all you see is this pile of garbage, and then all of a sudden, you turn the lights on, and this is what you see. But you don't know that's what you're going to see until the lights come on. Isn't that amazing? What would seem like a pile of garbage, or junk, or I guess really old McDonald's cups, with the right perspective, creates something really beautiful. Something very meaningful and not what you would actually expect when you first look at it. Perception is really interesting, isn't it? The conclusions we draw by simply looking at, you know, are those leopards print co uh, cops? Do you see that at the left corner? And anyway, I just noticed that. Weird. I don't know what restaurant that is. <laughs> Squirrel. Um, but when you walk, like if you were to walk into this gallery and all you see first off sitting on the table is a bunch of garbage, you'd probably walk out. Like, why am I here? I don't need to look at a bunch of garbage. But when you stop and you turn the lights on and look at it with the right perspective, or maybe even a better way to say it is a changed perspective, you see what's really going on. What we see is not always what's happening. Maybe the things we look at and we count as garbage or junk or worthless actually become something beautiful. You can move on, Kenda, that's great. This happens all the time in our lives, doesn't it? You know, growing up and maturing is, and becoming adults is really, is really a change of perspective, isn't it? You know, as teenagers, we're irritated and throw fits when our parents give us rules. But as we grow up, we start to realize those very rules actually lead us to very good places. A change of perspective. Sometimes, or for instance, you're a kid too and you eat a bunch of chocolate and junk food and then you become a 32-year-old man and you eat one burger and then you gain 50 pounds overnight. All right? Sometimes the things we want in life or the direction we want to take in life lead us somewhere completely different than when we started. Perception matters. Perception matters. The perception or the approach to life most of us tend to find ourselves in, if we're honest, is I need to have this thing over here figured out. Or I need to be in control of this thing over here. Or I need this to work out the way I need it to or I'm not okay. Or my life is not okay. Can anybody else relate to that? That sense of control. But let me ask this question this morning. Does that perception or perspective or mindset actually work out? That need? Or, or, or are we really supposed to have all the answers? 
Is that really who we're supposed to be? Does it lead us where we want to? We've spent the last month of September pulling apart and reassembling this this invitation from Jesus to to come and follow him. All this for this purpose of, of a deeper understanding, really. To follow Jesus means to apprentice under Jesus, which means really to reorder your life around him. Following Jesus, being a Christian or an apprentice to Jesus for the purpose of seeing the reality of God's presence more potent around us. Or as we talked about last week, Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven has what? Come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapters five through seven, Jesus basically um, begins to give us this roadmap, and we're gonna be there this morning, Matthew chapter five, so if you have your Bibles, why don't you already open up there? But in, the, in Matthew 5, Jesus begins to give us this roadmap of what life in the kingdom practically looks like. It's almost as if, you know, you could ask the question, okay, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come near, that sounds great, but I, I don't really know what to do next. And then Jesus answers, funny, you should ask, because here's Matthew 5 through 7. Because here's the wild claim from Jesus. Here's the wild claim from Jesus today. His claim is simply, but it's profoundly this. If you live like this, life in the kingdom, if you live this life in the kingdom, it is the best life, the most full life you could ever live. That's a pretty big claim though, isn't it? If we're honest, like that, that, is, a, that is a wild claim. The first part of Matthew 5 is what we call, or most of us heard growing up as the Beatitudes. Just for curiosity's sake, I thought I would look this up because honestly, I've grown up hearing this word most of my life. I didn't really know what it meant. So I thought I'd look it up and check this out. Are you ready for the definition? Andrew is. Because this definition right here sums up the claim of Jesus in such a beautiful way. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines beatitude as this. A state of utmost bliss a state of utmost bliss. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? We now launch into a section of scripture heavily potent with, I guess you could say, some of the most famous teachings from Jesus. So before we jump in though, here's the invitation as we begin today. Here's the invitation for all of us today. For many of us in the room, we have grown up reading and hearing 99%, if not 100% of all of this. I have. It would be really easy for me to kind of just tune this out and say, yeah, this is for somebody else. I've heard this. Got it. Thanks, God. Check off the mark. But let's come to the table today as if this is brand new. As if this is brand new. To, to, to maybe change our perspective. To turn on the light and see what happens. You know, maybe you've been following Jesus for 50 years plus and you've heard this 50 times more but I really believe that there's something new and beautiful for you and I in this today. Would you go there with me today? Let's go. All right, Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me one more time before we go further? God, the theme this morning ever since pre-gathering prayer to now has just been this, this uh, I believe this invitation to just sit at your feet. And so Lord, we, we, we sit at the feet of the teacher this morning. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes today? Would you open our eyes today? Now, let's get something out of the way right from the beginning. Jesus tends to see things very differently than you and I. <laughs> Usually, most of the time, that's true, isn't it? Pretty much every statement and idea and teaching we're going to explore for the foreseeable future in this text is going to flip our paradigm upside down. Welcome to church. <laughs> We established this last week, but just as a quick recap, God created the world and his ideal design is creation and creator existing together in beautiful unity or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God where God or where what God desires, what God wants to see done is able to do so without being hindered by anything. But we like to do it our own way, don't we? And from that moment on, our little kingdoms tend to get into the way of what God is doing. So, if these teachings here in Matthew 5 through 7 begin to shake our foundations or our little kingdoms, they're kind of supposed to. Spoiler alert. Whenever we look at something Jesus says, it always helps us to understand who the audience is first. You know, we are in the 21st century hearing and reading this for the first time, but we were not the original audience, were we? So let's look at the original, sorry, the original audience here for a second. Leading into this chapter, Jesus invites the fishermen to come and follow him. We've been exploring this in Matthew chapter 4. They left everything they knew behind and they followed Jesus. But if you noticed in verse 1 of chapter 5, what did it say? Now when Jesus saw what? Who did he see? A crowd. Okay, so who is this crowd? Did they just come from nowhere? Who are they? Really quick, at the end of chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, here it is again, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And the large crowd followed him. The crowd that Jesus saw at the beginning of, that we see at the beginning of chapter 5, it's a mix of these people. The fishermen, but also those who were sick, those who were suffering, those who were hurting. The forgotten abouts in society. You know, the leftovers and the, no, the ones no one wanted. It is with these people right here that Jesus begins to unpack the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The forgotten abouts. And the author of this gospel, Matthew, he begins with this one statement from Jesus. Blessed, or if you want to read out of the King James, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed. It's kind of a weird way for Jesus to start it off, isn't it? Seems really strange because literally the meaning for blessed, as you would know, is means like supremely fortunate or well off or happy. How can you be blessed or happy if you are, if you are poor in something? 
It's a strange thing for Jesus to claim. You, naturally, when you think you're poor in something, that's something you kind of want to avoid, right? Being poor in something usually is not a positive thing. Poor in spirit. So the Greek word here for, for spirit is the word pneuma. Can you say that with me? Pneuma, which literally means a soul or a human soul or a whole person. One commentary I read this week defined it as this. The sentient element in humans, that by which they perceive, reflect, feel, and desire. Another way to maybe say it possibly is where everything comes from within you. Where you begin, your, your, your motivations, your reasons, who you are. Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Such a strange thing for Jesus to say. Why, why would he say that? I think this is going to shed some light on it. Another commentary said this. Speaking about those who are poor in spirit, they are those who recognize in their heart that they are poor in the sense that they can do no good thing without divine assistance. That they have no power in themselves to help them do what God requires them to do. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such for from the kingdom, the proudly self-sufficient are inevitably excluded. It's a beautiful word. Jesus is identifying the truth about the human race, about us, the condition of our soul. Humanity, us here in the room here right now, cannot get to the good we want on our own. We really can't. I've only lived 32 years. I'm still a young man, but I've already started to learn that lesson. We try, and honestly, most of history tells that story, and it's not a pretty story, is it? If we, humanity, wants to be happy or fulfilled, we tend to live in, into the storyline that we need to go get it for ourselves, or we need to earn it, or we need to create it, or accomplish it, or conquer whomever or whatever to get there. To reach good, we need to get there by force. But catch this, Jesus is saying the complete opposite in this moment. He's offering a different perspective to see things correctly. Jesus introduces a different place to start. To live the life that is the most life, we have to acknowledge our lack. My, my poorness. Acknowledging my poorness. Jim uh, Forrester, he's a theologian I was reading this week, said this. What does poverty of spirit mean? It is my awareness that I cannot save myself. Did you hear that? It is my awareness that I cannot save myself. That I am basically defenseless. That neither money nor power will spare me from suffering and death. And that no matter what I achieve or acquire in my life, it will be far less than what I wanted. Thanks for the boost, Jim. Poverty of spirit is my awareness that I need God's help and mercy more than I need anything else. That's a heavy statement right there. I'll say it again. Poverty of spirit is my awareness that I need God's help and mercy more than I need anything else. Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase of Matthew said this, it's the same verse, Matthew 5, 3. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Doesn't that sum it up so well? 
realizing that my own goodness or success or accomplishment actually does not get me to where I want to alone. I'll probably end up only disappointing myself. Celebrity, or we see this all the time, don't we? Celebrity after celebrity, making it to the top, having it all. But the story just keeps telling itself over and over again. Emptiness and loss. Jim Carrey is a comedian. Never thought I'd quote Jim Carrey in one of my teachings. He said this really interesting thing, though. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they could know that it's not the answer. What a statement. Is he saying that having money and doing, you know, doing what you love is wrong? Absolutely not. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying, though, is that if you are looking for that to be your hope and your meaning, you are going to be very disappointed. Steve Jobs, a creator and founder and really genius of Apple, said something very similar. He died um, while battling cancer for a really long time. He said this, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life was the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. Oh, if that feels heavy, it's supposed to. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. If you know anything about his story or have you've read his biography, you know, he, he achieved a lot, but his relationship, especially with his daughter, was terrible. You know, he basically ignored her presence for the first, I don't know how many years of her life. He kind of just ignored the fact that he was a father. I think Jesus is inviting us as the human race, humanity, to pull back the layers and look at, look at how we define success and a good life. The interesting thing about listening to Jesus, um, like those listening to Jesus at the time, they, they were the forgotten abouts, weren't they? We said that at the very beginning. They were those who were sick and hurting. They were, they were kind of those that didn't make the cut. They've been told their whole lives they don't have what it takes they don't fit, they don't belong. Where Jesus says poor in spirit, they could relate to the words of Jesus on every level. The religious leaders at the time told them this, society told them this, the church of the day told them this. They did not have to be convinced that they were poor in spirit. They knew it. They knew it. I really think this is a beautiful place for Jesus to have started. The very beginning of this whole section, Matthew 5 through 7, is reminding all of us, no matter who you are, where you are in life, young or old, what it really means to be a human being the way God designed us to be. We are always meant to live in this deep union with God. That was the design. You know, we read this in the Genesis poem. The beginning, what do we see? We see Adam and Eve living in this deep connection with God. They didn't have to worry about anything. Why? Because the reign of God, the will of God was let loose in a world and Adam and Eve were just caught up in it. We were praying that this morning in pre-gathering prayer, which all of you should come to because it's been awesome. But we were, we were praying that. We, it's just the presence of God was so thick in the room this morning. And I really just felt the Lord was reminding us to just simplify things and come to the feet of Jesus to get caught up like Adam and Eve, to be caught up in what God was doing in the world. But what changed? 
They decided they could build a better world. We decided we could build a better world. The opposite of poor in spirit. The opposite of poor in spirit. See, poor in spirit says, God, lead me today. Have your way in my life. Disrupt the pattern of my day. Holy Spirit, here I am. Poor in spirit says, God, would you, would you take control of my speech today? God, guide my words. Would you be in control of my tongue? Poor in spirit takes the position of submission. Poor in spirit takes the position of submission and it takes the position of surrender. It takes the position of surrender. Poor in spirit asks the question instead of assuming the answer. It asks the question instead of assuming the answer. I've said this so many times, but it's true and I feel like I need to hear it personally every single day. We are not our own saviors. Thank you, Jesus, I am not. I would make and have made an awful mess of trying to do that in my own life. Can I get amens in the room? Right? There's freedom in acknowledging the fact that I am in need of guidance. Thank you, Jesus, I don't have to come up with it on my own. I'd be hurled in a corner over there and you'd be trying to convince me to get back up again. There's freedom and life in submission to King Jesus because he's a good king who truly wants to lead us. Yeah? We all awake today? We're doing all right? All right. I know the masks are irritating. We should have little air conditioner units in our masks. There's freedom in life in submitting to King Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, where God's good purposes and healing love are let loose in a broken world. Let me ask this today. We're, we're coming close to ending here. What, what, what if we were okay with being poor in spirit? What if we were okay with admitting that? What if we let Jesus flip our perspective, turn the lights on, so we can see there's freedom and life in not having all the answers. That's counterintuitive, but it's actually freedom to realize you're not on the hook to come up with the right answers. We are supposed to submit to the one who knows already. That's good news. What if we, we as a church community, Lighthouse Church, approached every single day, every moment, God, what would you have us do today? Holy Spirit, here I am. Not having the answers, just having the availability. Not the answers, but having the availability. Then see what God does. And you know what? It's probably gonna look way simpler than we think. A rising tide of transformed lives. I love that statement, and it's so beautiful, but it will only happen if God leads the way. We cannot on our own lead a rising tide of transformed lives. That's just us building our own kingdom. If he's in control of the tides, though, and we follow him, we're gonna see God do something beautiful. That's why we started this journey. You remember our first week in this building, what did we do? We built an altar right on the floor, and we said, God, this has to be yours. Because what happens when we take control of it? We make it an idol, right? This becomes, look what we did. Look how awesome of a place this is. Look at the lights. You know what, if these get in the way of what God wants to do, we'll burn them in the center of the floor. Sorry, Kenda. <laughs> we won't really, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I want us to live in such submission to King Jesus that 
if God, that's what God says, we're going to do it. I don't believe that's what he's going to say, but that's an element of consecration. That is the approach of surrender. That's what God, you have your way in this place means. What if our lives became that same altar? Not just the building, but that was the altar we put our lives on and said, God, you have your way. God, you have your way. Open and ready to be led and taught by the God of the universe. Man, let that hit you. It's as big as that and as beautiful as that. I know I'm still young. I'm only 32, but... The most fulfilling moments of my life has been when I had very few answers. <laughs> really. But I said, God, I trust you. And, and, and I'm gonna do what you say next. Really, that's the only reason why I'm up here right now. I could not have orchestrated all the things that brought Jesse and I and our girls here. God absolutely led all of it and we responded. See, see the invitation from God all along has been Come, let me show you. Let me, let me teach you. When Jesus invited men and women to come, he didn't say, you know, come and impress me. Or, or come, let me see if you have what it takes. Or come, let's see what you got. That's not what Jesus said. What did he say? Come, follow me. It was a gentle, what, is it, what does he say in, later on in Matthew, I think? Come, all who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Why? because I am gentle and I am humble in heart. It was a warm, heartfelt invitation to real life. There's a, there's a moment in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7, where God said this amazing thing through a prophet. I'll, I come back to this often. It says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and pray Seek my face. Be at the feet of Jesus. And they'll turn from their wicked ways. What? I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. What an invitation. What an invitation. When we, you know, when we are getting gas and, you know, we're rushed and we're late. When our credit card is declined again and we don't know what to do next. When the one person who's supposed to love us doesn't. Well, whether we're on the mountain or we're in the valley. The invitation from Jesus every time is come, be poor in spirit. I'm not looking for you to be perfect. I'm not looking for you to, to impress. I'm not looking for you to play the part. I'm looking for your heart. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for your mess. I'm looking for you, I'm looking for your mess, your success and your failures. Give them to me and I'll show you real life. I'll show you, this is the invitation from Jesus. I will show you a state of utmost bliss. Isn't that cool? A state of utmost bliss. But you can't get there the way you think you will. You'll experience it by learning from King Jesus. What we've been talking about since the beginning of September. Following him, surrendering to him. That's what it means when we say, you know, make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life or yeah, like make him your savior. What does that mean? We say that all the time, but it's admitting I cannot reach pure joy and life and happiness on my own. I need Jesus. Being poor in spirit, being emptied, a state of utmost bliss, a change of perspective. We've been saying this 
kind of unofficially over the last month or so, but Lighthouse Church, a community of Jesus followers on Graham and Ann who desire to see his kingdom, his way more alive and more present in our moment. Jesus followers who desire to see his kingdom and his way more alive and more present in our moment. As a response today, I'm gonna end with this. Really simply, maybe it's just asking the honest question. Are we building our own kingdom still? On a, on a micro level, like on like small scale, just you, your story. If you were to really look at your life or if we were to really look at our lives, you know, pull back the facades, pull back the impressing people or, you know, come in someday, Sundays looking one way, but then as soon as you leave, you're somebody else. Pull back everything and just ask the question, how do we spend our time? You know, how do we spend our money, our friendships, all of it? Do we trust that the way of Jesus is good? Somebody told me a long time ago, where you spend your time and where you spend your money will show you where your priorities are at, right? Do we trust that the way of following Jesus is actually good? If we are followers of Jesus, for those of us in the room that are, if you are not, we're, we're glad you're here, welcome. But for those of us that are, do our lives show that we trust that the way of Jesus is good? That's sometimes a very uncomfortable question. That's okay, it's uncomfortable for me. But we've gotta go there. I always go back to the invitation from Jesus. I read it earlier, but come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For what? I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find, I love this line, rest for your souls. You will find what you've been looking for the whole time. So maybe you've come in this morning, and we're gonna keep diving into this really we're gonna slow it way, way, way down. And I made a video earlier this week. Did anybody watch it about the podcast? It's okay if you didn't. Oh, there we go. But we're gonna start diving deep into this on a weekly basis. If I'll, we'll post the link so that it's easy to subscribe and we'll walk you through how to download the podcast and the episodes. They're gonna be really short, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. But every Wednesday, we're gonna put out and we're gonna call it abiding. And it's basically talking about how do we take these things and not just talk about them on Sunday mornings. Because this is great, this is amazing, this is really good. But we live a life, don't we? Sunday after church, all the way till Sunday morning again. And you are following Jesus more in that time frame than you are on a Sunday morning. So this is great, but this is just a moment. Like this is good and it's, we need it, we need to be together and we need to lift up the name of Jesus. But how we live every other day of the week maybe even matters more. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend, you know, 15 minutes and just really practically, like this week, we're gonna kinda, it may sound lame, but I love it. <laughs> but we're gonna like really just look at our week. Like we're gonna, we're gonna make for you like a timetable for you to like look at your week and like mark it off by the hour and just really evaluate like the question, do we, do we, do we spend our time with Jesus? You know, and if the answer is no, the invitation is we get to change it together. 
And what we're gonna do is I'm gonna challenge you with this and I'm gonna do it too. So this is a challenge for me just as it is for you. Find at least one other person to do these exercises with. Don't do it just by yourself. I know we can't get together as much as we would like with restrictions, I know, but we need to go through this with each other. So whether it's going over to somebody's house, whether it's just getting coffee, maybe it's a group of people, maybe it's three or four, but getting together and, and sharing what God's showing, with, like showing you. Like, wow, you know what? I don't spend any of my time with Jesus, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna commit to every morning for 15 minutes. All right, great, thanks. You know what? I'm gonna do the same too. Let's keep each other accountable for that. And then what we're gonna do is starting, in, starting as soon as we can get things up and running, we're gonna try to do community groups. Having a meal together with you know, 10, 15 people as much as we can and just share these things with each other because this is just a moment. This is just a moment. Sunday morning is beautiful, but God wants to do something beautiful on our island every day of the week. But we need to live in community with each other every day of the week. So those are gonna roll out this week, but would you do that with me? Come on. Yeah, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. I'm gonna have to ask somebody to, to get together with me and look at that too, and it's gonna be awkward, but that's okay, because we need this. I don't, if we don't get together and do this in real life together throughout the week, we're gonna fizzle out, right? This is the real life nitty gritty praying with each other, and just to invite you, man, pre-gathering prayer, 9.30 in this room. We have church before all y'all get here. Man, it is, no guilt, if you can't make it, it's okay. But when we come and we pray, when we pray, what does it say? If my people who are called by my name will what? Seek my face and pray. No, it's not if they get together and sing on t in tune every time or stay on tempo or have the right lights. That's helpful, but these are just tools, right? If we aren't, if we aren't here praying into this, we're just gonna spin in circles. But when we pray and we seek his face, we're gonna see God heal some pretty beautiful things. But we gotta pray. All right, let's, let's close up and I'll pray and then we'll, we'll carry into our week. God, I just thank you for this moment together. I thank you for your invitation to come to the feet of Jesus, to come to your feet, poor in spirit, okay with the fact that we may not have it all figured out okay with the fact that we may, you know, act one way this day and then another day we struggle with something else. Whatever, whatever the real us is, the invitation from you, Jesus, is to come. For you're gonna experience the, the, the kingdom of heaven, the real life. The invitation is always to come. The invitation is always to come. Jesus, we love you. We praise you this morning. Go, go with us this week. May we pause and just like we talked about earlier, a poor in spirit approach says, God, what would you have me do today? And then respond to it. Maybe it's the friend having coffee or maybe it's you know, the stranger we run to at the gas station that you just feel in your heart you're supposed to pray for them. God, would we have the courage to do it? I know it's weird. I know it's awkward. But God, we're gonna see beautiful things happen when we listen and we walk in rhythm with your spirit. So God, we love you and we praise you, amen.